Hey guys, welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'll be your host this week, Lisa Magistrelli, and with me as always is my partner in true crime, Shell Morgan. Hey guys! We want to do our little shout out for the week. We're going to do our review that we promised you from last time. So this week, we are giving a shout out to N. Davis 10. She gave us a review and it was super, super cute. So what it said was, I love listening to this podcast and get excited for new episodes every week. The girls feel like your friends and the back and forth they have between one another each episode is great. They asked the questions I'd want to ask about each case and have shared some really interesting cases. Can't wait to hear more. Such a great true crime podcast. Aw, so sweet. Thank you. Thanks, girl. And Davis 10. And if you leave us a review, we'll read out yours on the next episode. Let's get to it. What would you do for love? How much would you sacrifice? How far would you go? to be with your one true soulmate. Some may call this a Romeo and Juliet story, but this is far more sinister than that. This is the case of the Richardson family murders. Take it away, girl! story begins in 2006 in Medicine Hat, Alberta, an industrial city located along the Saskatchewan River and known for its large natural gas fields and agriculture. Many podcasters have wondered where the name Medicine Hat originated from, and it actually goes back to a tale in the 1800s when an indigenous medicine man, also known as a traditional healer, lost his hat in the river after fleeing his tribe from Blackfoot warriors. Oh. A little history lesson for ya. All right. I didn't know that. Me neither. The Richardson family lived in a nice three-story gray home in a suburban area on Cameron Road. The four family members were 42-year-old father, Mark, 48-year-old mother, Deborah, 12-year-old daughter, Jasmine, and 8-year-old son, Jacob. The Richardsons were your typical happy family. Neighbors described them as a Norman Rockwell family. A close friend of the family said that Mark and Deborah had the eyes and electricity every couple only hopes to have. Mark was a quiet but very proud husband and father. He was gentle, tolerant, dedicated to his family, and was very successful with his career. He liked to let Deborah shine in the spotlight, who had a zest for life and had an outlook of seeking the lessons in life's obstacles. She made it her priority to ensure her children always had the emotional, physical, and intellectual support that they needed. Jasmine was a beautiful, bright, social 12-year-old girl entering her pre-teens. She was happy, did well in school, and was by all means kind of a girly girl. Her bedroom was all pink. She had a lace canopy over her bed. I did too. I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Basically Anne Frank style everywhere. Like my dream bedroom. Basically what I had. Jacob was eight and known for kind of being the class clown. 
He was polite, loved giving hugs, and was your typical cute, goofy eight-year-old boy who enjoyed playing sports. Aww. On a sunny afternoon in April 2006, one of Jacob's neighborhood friends came over to ask him to come outside and play. The boy walked up the stairs to the front door and knocked. No answer. So he knocked again and waited. Still no answer. So he walks back down the stairs and peers into one of the basement windows. And what he saw made him go booking it back to his house. Oh my god. He ran straight to his mom and said, Mom, I went to Jacob's house and saw people lying on the ground with blood on them. So the mom went over there immediately to go see what he was talking about. And her son was telling the truth. She looked through the window and saw two adults lying on the basement floor with a lot of blood. Oh my god. Poor boy. That's so traumatizing. This eight-year-old just wants to play with his friend and ends up seeing dead people through the window. Fuck. Oh god. Police and paramedics arrived at the Richardson's home and found the deceased bodies of Mark and Deborah on the basement floor. It was a bloodbath. Mark was lying with a screwdriver by his side, and at first their impression was that this was a murder-suicide, but when they got a closer look, they could see that both of their bodies had been stabbed multiple times. This was a double murder. Police went upstairs to search the rest of the house, and when they entered one of the bedrooms, they found little Jacob lying on his bed in a pool of blood. Oh, no. There was blood splattered on the walls and all over his surrounding toys. And he had also been stabbed and his throat was cut. It's this poor eight-year-old. Police were also super traumatized oh, no. as well. Like, this has never happened in their town, so they are so shaken. So police were looking at family photos on the wall, and they noticed that they also had a young daughter, Jasmine. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, though, where is she? Yeah, so this just keeps getting worse. So they go to the next bedroom, sick to their stomachs, what they would find. But she's not there. They search and search, but Jasmine's nowhere to be found. They contact her school and try to see if her friends have seen her, but no one knew where she was. So not only are they dealing with a triple murder, this savage killer has also kidnapped their daughter and could be in grave danger. So an Amber Alert was put out for 12-year-old Jasmine. Why would someone want to kill this entire family? I have no Like, I, by all accounts, and, they're just a normal family living in Medicine Hat. It's not a huge town. Right? And, like, that's a gruesome murder. Not just stabbing somebody a couple times. Like, multiple times. Right. Oh. And, like, slitting this little boy's throat. Oh, my God. <sighs> I can't even say that without cringing. Around eight hours go by and still no reports have come in from the Amber Alert. So investigators go to Jasmine's school to check her locker and see if they can find any clues to help find her. But just when they think this case can't get any more insane, it gets worse. They could not believe what they found. Inside Jasmine's locker was a drawing that she had made. Oh no. It was a stick figure drawing showing a family being burned inside their home, screaming, Help! Help! My flesh is being burned off. What? (laughs) And then, 
there are two stick figures watching from outside that are saying, Aha, you're burning alive. Oh my god. What the Isn't fuck, she Jasmine? 12 years old? 12. She's 12. Care to explain this little stick drawing, Jasmine? What is going on? So it didn't take the police very long to realize that 12-year-old Jasmine was not a victim of a kidnapping. She just turned into their prime suspect. Oh my god. And she's on the run. What the fuck? What the actual fuck? What the fuck? Can you just imagine being the police officer figuring this out? Yeah, like it just doesn't make any sense. So let's back the truck up and take a look at what was really going on inside the Richardson family home. Jasmine attended an all-girls Catholic school, so they had a dress code and we can agree that they're known for being kind of strict. Jasmine was most definitely this bubbly 12-year-old who had lots of friends, liked to socialize, and was a good kid who followed the rules. But she's 12, so she's entering her pre-teens. A brand new chapter in her life where everything starts to change. Our bodies change, our skin changes, and hormones are flooding in. So we can expect that the way we think and behave changes too. Our fluffy pink bedrooms and stuffed animals are suddenly super lame. (laughs) Super lame. Super lame. I feel like I still like stuffed animals at 12. (laughs) So innocent. But yeah. I mean, I get it though. I I get it. Okay. I don't know why I'm sharing this. (laughs) Share it. Tell me. So I am 31. <laughs> I still sleep with my blankie. Oh my god. From when you were a kid? Stop it. I mean, I don't You're take so it. Cute. I don't take it on vacations anymore. But anymore. like yeah. when did you stop? Like at 25? I think so. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I need to be a big girl now. I need to learn how to sleep without it. Oh but like I yeah, I sleep with my blankie every night it just feels really nice it's got silk on one side oh. and they've studies have shown that soft material <laughs> is a very calming thing for kids to mm-hmm. be touching mm-hmm. and when it's on your face like it just feels really nice anyways just a f- fun little fact for you guys side note about Lise she loves her blankie <laughs> okay so, as Jasmine was entering this preteen chapter, she started to discover different types of music and really got into punk rock. But her parents didn't really think much of it. They were just giving her the space to explore her personality and express herself. I liked punk rock back yeah, when I was that age. A little age. bit of like Sum 41. Yeah, I loved Sum 41, Blink-182. My Chemical Romance. Oh my god, loved them. The Used. The Used. I was just going to say oh, The Used. Oh yeah, they baby. love The Used. Gradually, they started to see a change in her appearance. She began wearing really dark makeup. You know, like really heavy black eyeliner and red lipstick. At 12. At 12. Okay. And she went from wearing bright and colorful clothes to now wearing mostly all black. She was becoming a lot more interested in the whole goth thing, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Her parents didn't have a problem with it until she started to show a change in her behavior. Jasmine started getting kind of rebellious and wouldn't adhere to the dress code at school. She would show up wearing all black, fishnet stockings, chokers, chains, and her eyeliner was becoming a lot more eccentric. She would draw like three lines coming out from the outer corners of her eyes and like dragging it down her her cheekbones. Oh, like tears? Almost just like lines of of a tear kind of. Yeah, Yeah, but like three of them. Okay. 
and she started to get a little tooty and oh. talk back to her teachers. All right. So she'd find herself getting pulled into the principal's office quite a bit, but all the while still maintaining her good grades. Hmm. So one night, Jasmine was attending a punk rock show, and I'm assuming it was an all-ages show because she was 12. Well, Jasmine meets a boy at this show. Well, of course, there's always a boy. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Stanky? Stanky? Okay. So I'm just going to call him Stinky, <laughs> Stinky from now on, okay? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's so do that. Stinky starts talking to Jasmine, and they're flirting. He's making her feel all special. Want to guess how old Stinky Jeremy is? Mm, probably at late teens. 23. Oh my god. He's 23. What are you doing with a 12-year-old? Yeah. What are you doing? What are, okay, to be honest, Jasmine doesn't look 12 when I look at her photos. She's really pretty and definitely looks older than her age because of the makeup. Okay. But still, I don't support it. No. So, and I'm sure that, well, maybe she lied about her age when she met him, but still, you, as a 23-year-old, you know that she's in high school, at least. At least. At she's least. not even in high school at this point. No. She's no. in middle school. Yeah. Oh well, my 12 God. years old, I was in grade 7. Yeah. Yeah. My God. So, Jasmine was totally digging Stinky. Mm -hmm. Not only was he this older guy who was paying attention to her, but he was also into the goth thing. Okay. He was this bad boy who wore black eyeliner, dark clothes, and chains. She was into it. Mm -hmm. And a little background on Stinky. He was a high school dropout, unemployed, and lived in a local trailer park. He had a pretty tough upbringing. His mom was an alcoholic and her boyfriends would be physically and verbally abusive to him and his mom. One time, Jeremy was arrested because he attacked one of his mom's boyfriends with a bat after they had hit his mom. So, I mean, poor kid is in okay. an extremely violent and unstable environment. Unsurprisingly, he becomes a heavy drinker and cocaine user. Okay, yeah. So... After this punk rock show, the two of them connect online and begin secretly dating. Mm. They were both members of our favorite site, Nexopia. Of course. Ooh, a little throwback to right? um, Cody. Cody, Cody bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, Cody bullshit. Um, they were also members of MySpace and another site called vampirefreaks.com okay which yes is still active but will actually be shutting down in the next couple weeks which is super random so for all of you with vampire fetishes get your last fix before it's gone forever bye stinky's online profile stated his interests were skateboarding mosh pits pain razor blades kinky fetishes and describes himself as a gothic individual who believes in blood, destruction, guts, gore, and greed. Am I God's champion or Satan's angel? Oh my god. So poetic, Stinky. No, not one bit. <laughs> Another So cliche. It's I know. It's just so cliche. Oh, I already hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of his interests was scarification. And I had to look this one up. It involves scratching, etching, burning, branding, or superficially cutting designs, pictures, or words into the skin as a permanent body modification. Okay. That's Ow. intense. Yep. Yeah. So, but wait. Just as she thinks, Stinky couldn't be any hotter. 
Oh no. He tells Jasmine that he wears a vial of blood around his neck and likes the taste of blood. Ew, what is going on? So did Jasmine score herself a vampire? Wow. No. Jeremy tells her that he's a 300-year-old werewolf. No, he does not. (laughs) So she's like, fuck yeah, sign me up. A werewolf. 300-year-old werewolf who drinks blood. Oh my god. What is this? (laughs) Jasmine, come on, girl. A werewolf. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Okay, so Jasmine's online bio describes her as bisexual, Wiccan, nocturnal, awkward, a deep thinker, and insane. Her interests include dark poetry, criminal psychology, blood, human anatomy, and kinky shit. Her idols were serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer and singer Marilyn Manson. Like, Jesus Christ, Jasmine. Like, Jeffrey Dahmer is your idol. Like, that's fucked up. That's a fucked up thing to say. This poor girl, she's just, ugh, I feel like she's getting manipulated or something or it's like she's trying to sound cool yeah and at 12 i mean i guess you're just trying to fit in and you're having these new interests Mm -hmm. and so you're trying to be someone maybe you aren't all the time exactly you're trying to mold yourself into this human and 12 12. i keep going back to 12 12. years old she's 12 and to circle back to being a wiccan Most people associate this with satanic witchcraft, but it's actually not like that at all from what I read. So I got this from Wicca.com and it says, quote, Wicca is a recognized religion, while witchcraft itself is not considered a religion. So Wicca just uses some witchcraft techniques. Then it says, Wicca is a very peaceful, harmonious, and balanced way of life, which promotes oneness with the divine and all which exists. It is being in the presence of Mother Nature and being humbled in reverence. We are not prone to the arrogance of human technology. To be a witch is to be a healer, a teacher, a seeker, a giver, and a protector of all things. So I'm not sure how much about this religion Jasmine actually knew, if she practiced it, or if she was just saying that she's Wiccan to sound cool. Yeah. But now we know that Wicca isn't as scary as it sounds. No, yeah, that's true. It's more like a spiritual thing Mm -hmm. versus being a witch. Yeah. So Jasmine and Jeremy are secretly dating. And at this point, Jasmine's like full-blown goth. Okay. She would show up to school with crosses drawn on her forehead and her friends were becoming kind of scared of her. But Jasmine actually liked that she was scaring people. Apparently it made her feel really powerful and in control. And probably just different and set her Mm -hmm. apart from her friends Mm -hmm. but i assume her parents didn't know that she was acting this way well Well, well, yeah because she was getting pulled into the principal's office she was getting in trouble at school like they would have known that but they didn't they probably didn't know to what extreme maybe right and they didn't know about stinky right yeah so her parents were becoming a bit concerned but again her grades weren't suffering so it was really hard to reprimand her One night, Jasmine asked her parents if she could go to a punk rock concert with her friends, and her parents agreed, but only on the terms that they would go with her. So Jasmine, Mark, and Deborah went to this show, and at some point, they lost sight of Jasmine. Her parents ended up finding her outside behind the building, 
making out with Stinky. Oh my god. So they lost of, their shit. Of course they did. That was enough. She was grounded, forbidden from seeing Jeremy ever again. And she wasn't allowed to leave the house unless it was for school. So this whole crackdown on Jasmine basically created a war inside the house. Mm -hmm. Jasmine hated her parents because to her, I mean, they're ruining her life. She's 12 years old and they won't let her see her 23-year-old crackhead pedophile boyfriend. Who's a werewolf? Yeah. Oh, how unfair. You're the worst Um, parents ever. They're just trying to protect her. From this 23-year-old fucking predator. Mm. So this just made Jasmine rebel even more. She continued to communicate with Stinky online and would sneak out to meet up with him. And I want to add that at this point, they're expressing their undying love for each other and they're sexually active. Okay. She's 12. He's 23. Yeah, that's illegal. It is illegal. It's very much illegal. At the time, the legal age for consent was 14. Now it's... I think it's 16. I think it's but 16. But back then, regardless, it was 100% like statutory rate. They could have pressed charges on 100%. him. 100%. Yeah. Jeremy even gave Jasmine a vial of his own blood. Oh, oh my God. How romantic. No, it's not. It's kind of like Billy Bob Thornton. I was thinking of that in Angelina. Yeah, I know. And she would wear that vial. I know. Oh, creepy. So tensions are running high in the Richardson household. Jasmine feels like she's living in a prison, so she sends Stinky an email, and it says, I have this plan. It begins with me killing them, and it ends with me living with you. Oh, no. So this was all her idea. Oh, no. And Jeremy, who's so in love and would do anything for her, responded, well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with the details and stuff. And then he went on and posted on his Vampire Freaks page, quote, payment. My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say they really care. They don't know what's going on. They just assume. As their greed continues to consume, she's slowly going insane. She continues to think that I came into her life to help her out and to stop what they're trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Oh my god. This was one month before the murders. Oh. And that's so angsty. I Jesus. Uh, and apparently even Jasmine talked about how she was going to kill her parents, but her friends didn't take it seriously. They thought it was just one of those things where you're mad at your parents and you just say dumb shit out of anger. Right, like, right? oh, I just want to kill them or right. something. Yeah. So they blew their cover before anything even happened. They just announced to the fucking world that they're going to kill her parents. Like, good one, guys. Mm-hmm. Super smart. So... Jumping forward to the night of the murders, April 23rd, 2006. The Richardson household is getting ready for bed when Deborah hears something downstairs, so she goes to check it out. She is faced with a man wearing a neoprene mask on his face, so she starts screaming. Of course. So Jeremy had snuck in through the basement window 
and he was actually expecting he would see Mark instead. So once Deborah started screaming, Jeremy attacked her with a knife and began stabbing her. Oh no. Over and over again. Oh my god, this is so awful. I know. He stabbed her 12 times until Mark comes bolting down the stairs and sees this man standing over his wife and there's blood everywhere. Mark launches himself at the masked man and he fights fucking hard. Yeah. They struggled on the ground. He even eye-gouged Jeremy with his thumbs and then grabs a nearby screwdriver. Mark even got a piece of Jeremy with the screwdriver, but it wasn't Good. enough. Yeah. Jeremy stabbed him any chance he could. Yeah. Over and over until You're Mark... just at a disadvantage because he has this knife. Exactly. And so he stabbed him so many times until Mark had no fight left in him. Oh my god. After 24 stab wounds, including nine to the back, Mark looks up at his killer and he asks, why? And Jeremy responded, this is what your daughter wanted. Oh my god. Those were the last words that Mark heard before taking his last breath. To know that it was your daughter, your daughter that did this. fucking heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. All you ever wanted was your daughter to be happy and safe. You just want the best for them. Mm-hmm. And to find out, oh my god, it's so upsetting. Like, so horrible. So while all of this is going on downstairs, Jasmine was sitting on Jacob's bed with him covering his ears from all the screaming that was going on downstairs. Fucking Stinky comes upstairs and takes off his mask. He tells Jasmine that it's done, and now it's her turn to finish off her brother. Oh my god. So Jacob starts crying. No, no, no. no. Oh my god, this is so hard. I just, I cannot. I know. And Jacob's begging for his life, and he's crying, and he says, I'm too young to die. Jasmine decides not to spare her baby brother's life and stabs sweet little Jacob five times in the chest. She does it herself. Yes. And it's unclear as to who cut his throat. Jeremy said he stood in the doorway and watched the whole thing, including Jasmine slitting Jacob's throat. But Jasmine testified that she only stabbed Jacob and that she couldn't slit his throat, so Jeremy did it for her. I'm sorry. Does it really matter at this point? You stabbed your little eight-year-old brother. You're a fucking monster. (laughs) Yes. You are a monster. You're a fucking monster. Okay, so the house is covered in blood. Jasmine's entire family is dead. Mm -hmm. She's 12. So Jeremy takes off to his trailer park while Jasmine sticks behind and takes her mom's debit card and some cash. Then she takes a cab over to Stinky's trailer. According to that cab driver, Jasmine was cool as a cucumber. She seemed really calm, and he didn't suspect that anything was even wrong. Like, she had absolutely no remorse. No. So the next day, one of Stinky's friends uses their van as a getaway car to drive them out of town, which makes her an accessory. Mm -hmm. But she later claims that she didn't know what the two of them had just done. She thought that they were just running away to be together. Okay. Within 24 hours, police found Jasmine and Jeremy about two hours away in the next province over in Leader, Saskatchewan. 
they were in the back of their friend's van hiding under a blanket. Now, I'm not sure who tipped them off. Like, was it that friend who was driving with them? Was it a random bystander? Stinky insisted that he never told this friend what they had done. So it's not, I have no idea how they got caught. But wouldn't there have been coverage oh, yeah. of the crime? So maybe the friend then figured it out and maybe. was like, I have to and tell where it they in. are. Yeah. Jasmine and Jeremy were both charged with a triple murder. While they were both locked up awaiting trial, they continued to write each other letters. Gross. And it's fucking nauseating to mm-hmm. read. Like, they're just in la-la land. And it's as if they don't realize the extent to how fucked they're going to be. And they're talking as if they're going to get out soon. No, so, you're not, yeah, honey. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Reality check. Yeah. So one of Jasmine's letters says, Never has a person affected me so much. Always will there be something missing without you with me. My lawyer tells me we're legends. Ha, huh. closer to immortality, it would seem. Monday, I'm being moved to Calgary. Sadness. I need to stay in contact. Stinky writes back, I love you more than life itself. I've added you to my visitors list, so once you're released, please visit soon. Never forget how much I care or that I love you. We can keep writing each other till we can be together again. Without you, this life isn't worth living. Kisses. The thought of being with you is what's helping me stay sane. We shall be together again, I promise. Stay true to your promises and I shall to mine. I wish I could hold you right now. Stay strong and continue to write me, please. I need you. I love you. I miss you. Kisses, XOXO. Your lover, Jeremy. P.S. You said you want to get engaged? Then here's a cue. Will you marry me? Oh my god. (laughs) If so, then it's a verbal agreement. First of all, that's not verbal. It's written, you moron. They're just... Oh my god. Second, she's... 12. She's 12. I don't think you can legally get married. <laughs> She's 12. Yeah, you can't get any, like, legal consent now because you killed your fucking parents. Right. This Just. is so horrible. I know. So Jasmine replies, Ha ha ha. I never thought I'd find myself hysterically laughing in a holding cell in these kinds of circumstances. Or ever, really. But still, ha ha ha. You make me so happy. Yes, Yes, I will. I would love to. Interesting information I came across. Anything you say to anyone, including a psychiatrist, unless issued by a lawyer, can be used against you. For fuck's sakes. Rawr. The world really is against us. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Rawr. Like, what the fuck is rawr? I hate this case. And they're not even showing any remorse. No, they don't They're even care. Still... They just killed three people. Yeah, they just want to be together still. They're not even acknowledging what they have just done. It's really sickening. So, not once in these several letters do either of them show any hint of remorse. These letters were presented in court. Jasmine said the reason she killed her eight-year-old brother was because it was cruel to leave him without his parents. And the reason why she killed her parents was, quote, I loved him so much. I thought it would bring us closer together. No, honey. Oh, honey, no. 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 You're delusional. Mm-hmm. 
But then in another hearing, it sounds like she testified saying that the idea of killing her family was hypothetical and she didn't actually intend on carrying out the murders. So she pled not guilty to all three charges of first degree murder. But clearly the jury wasn't buying her shit. I was going to say it's total bullshit. Fuck that. So it only took them three hours to deliberate. On July 10th, 2007, Jasmine was found guilty on all three counts of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment, which is the maximum sentence allowed by the Youth Criminal Justice Act for any convict under the age of 14 at the time they committed the crime. So they can't be charged as an adult, and 10 years is the max that they can give you. Yep, that's Canada for you! Here's the fucked up part. So she already served a year and a half since her arrest, and the 10-year sentence is broken down like this. Four of those years were to be served in a psychiatric facility, followed by four and a half years under conditional supervision within the community. So basically, she spent two more months in jail and then spent the rest of it in treatment. Like, she didn't really have to even spend any time in jail. No, and it was, that's because she's 12. Yeah, and is all focused on rehabilitation yeah. for her. So Jasmine, while she was in her treatment, was diagnosed with conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder. Another mental health lesson for everyone here. Okay. Conduct disorder is a, quote, serious behavioral and emotional disorder that is most common in males and can occur in children and teens. A child with this disorder may display a pattern of disruptive and violent behavior and have problems following rules. The behavior is considered to be a conduct disorder when it's long-lasting and when it violates the rights of others and goes against accepted norms of behavior and disrupts the child's or family's everyday life. Okay. Symptoms vary from mild to severe. Aggressive behavior that threaten or cause physical harm, which may include fighting, being cruel to others or animals, or using weapons. Destruction of property, such as arson or vandalism. Deceitful behavior, like lying, shoplifting, breaking into homes or cars. And violation of rules going against accepted rules of society or engaging in behavior that's not acceptable for the person's age, like running away, skipping school, playing pranks, or being sexually active at a very young age. Yeah. Sounds this, like her. I know, but it also just sounds like a bad teen, you know? Like, yeah, totally. Like acting up. Like, would that be something that you would even think to diagnose them with something? It doesn't always mean that it's going to lead to murdering your family. Yeah. But it's still definitely something she was suffering with. Yeah. And the other disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, is basically the same thing, only it's a less severe case. So behavior like losing your temper, arguing with adults, easily like getting mad or you're touchy and moody, being spiteful or vindictive, cursing and blaming others for their mistakes. Neither of these disorders have an exact known cause, but it can be a combo of genetic, biological, and environmental factors. Some studies suggest that this could be linked to a certain area of the brain that's responsible for behavior, emotions, and impulse control. It's been linked to genetics, so other close family members who may have a mental illness, including anxiety disorders, depression, or personality disorders, Environmental factors could be a dysfunctional family, 
but from we can but, hear that's not the case yeah um childhood abuse trauma and inconsistent discipline from parents so it's unknown which ones on this list were the cause of jasmine's diagnoses from all of their friends and families and their comments mark and deborah were dedicated and loving parents who cared about their children's happiness and well-being so in december of 2008 stinky is found guilty of all three counts of first degree murder perfect he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Wonderful. And he's eligible for parole after serving 25 years. Great. Bye, Stinky. Bye-bye. He said that on the night of the murders, he drank a flat of beer, which is okay. fucking like 24 beers. Wow. Had an ounce of cocaine as well. So I have no idea how much that is. I had to Google it. <laughs> so... Apparently, around an ounce, depending on how strong and pure the cocaine is, it's like roughly four lines. Okay. But anyways, drinking a flat of beer and doing like four lines of cocaine, he's pretty fucked up. Totally. And he claims that he did black out for parts of the murders. Oh my god. In 2012, Jeremy changed his name to Jackson May, which was his mother's maiden name. And he tried to appeal his case. But it was denied because you have to file the appeal within 30 days of your sentencing. And he was like four years too late. So Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Jeremy didn't know that this was the rule because he wasn't educated with the system and he couldn't find a lawyer that could help him. Well. Why am I not who, surprised? Yeah. Who would want to help yeah. this guy? Exactly. So he hasn't tried to file for the appeal since. And you know what? I thought he was a 300-year-old werewolf. Can't you just escape jail? (laughs) Yeah. Fucking werewolf, man. Fucking wait till the full moon. Yeah. Kill everybody and break free. God, I just cannot. Jasmine completed her sentence in May 2016. While she was serving her sentence, she attended a university in Calgary. She now lives amongst us in an unknown location under a completely different name and was said by some to be the poster child for rehabilitation. This is the kicker. If she keeps it clean and stays out of trouble for five years, her criminal record will be wiped clean. Yeah. Isn't that so Canadian? It is very, very Canadian. that. That's bullshit. You fucking killed people. People should know that that's your criminal record. Why should that ever just disappear like it never happened? I think that's bullshit. Yeah, and it's so hard because she's 12. So you want to believe in the rehabilitation process because she's so young and her brain isn't fully developed yet. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely room for her to change and to, you know, feel remorse for what she did and... I think that she definitely would be a good candidate for that. Yeah. But still, you're 12 and you murdered your brother and you put a hit out on your parents. For what? To live with your 300-year-old vampire boyfriend? Oh my god. It's just, it's so fucked up. I mean, apparently she didn't show any signs of remorse still, even in her final hearing. She didn't apologize. But the judge did say that he has witnessed her, like, will to make things right. Right. And he even said, your parents and your brother would be proud of you to see the growth that you've made which i like i just like don't you fucking dare don't even do like why why say that i know like they're never coming back okay what's done is done and like sure maybe she has gotten better and maybe she 
she is a good citizen and she maybe she does regret it all but like you can't take that back like your whole family's dead your whole family and you have to live with that and now you have to live with that Mm -hmm. would that not fuck you up even more after you realized what you've done holy shit or maybe she's just really good at putting on an act maybe so because these two were so drunk in love and dumb their paper trail and stick figure drawings led the investigators straight to them in less than 12 hours they solved the case and were no longer questioning whose crime is it anyway i have a question yeah are they still in contact do we know okay. if jasmine is still in contact with jeremy it sounds like they're not I, from a couple of things that I've read, like, they're not engaged and they're not, they haven't communicated. Okay. Jeremy's, like, 37 years old now. He literally looks like a creepy, scary version of Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. I don't know who that is. Ugh. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't need a quote, but no, there it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? Check back soon for our next case. And remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. And also you can find us on Instagram at Whose Crime Podcast. Bye! Toodles!